Welcome back to Give Me Some Truth. That's Hayward Williams, by the way, if anyone was wondering. Uh, we're totally trying something new today, Keith, and I'm I'm kind of afraid about this, but I, I think I think it's going to go all right. Like I triggered something. We got this new like Roadcaster Pro thing. We're going Facebook Live. We're recording the audio podcast all at the same time. And so what you explain this to is this theoretically, this new setup could put Hannah out of a job. Is Sorry, that Hannah? Yeah, we, we apologize to you, Hannah, if, you know, the computers replace you. Um, that's just the future we're living in. Isn't so, that called, uh, what is that, creative destruction? That's what it yeah. is. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so that's, uh, and that's really the, the driver of, of business, right, is uh, creative destruction, getting rid of, of outdated things. And uh, apparently Hannah, by giving us all of this power and, and pushing us to get this new equipment, has basically paved the way for her own, her own elimination. She's just going to have to become a financial advisor now. Yeah. Uh, and hopefully, hopefully soon. It sounds like soon, right? That's right. We do have her in a path for that. So I guess we might eliminate one portion of her job and then maybe one opens up. And then, you know, yeah. if we talk about it, that's, isn't that the best way to do it? We replace something with technology and then elevate her into a better role, we're, right? We're liberating her technology. It is improving our productivity. We're, we are, you know, this is, this is econ 101 that we're, we're doing for Hannah where, you know, we felt we, I've sentenced boys younger than you to the death <laughs> to the guest. <laughs> didn't want to do it. Didn't want to do it. Felt I owed it to them. Um, I, I so. have, I have though previously when I used to work for somebody, um, and, and Jennifer, you know, you know who I'm talking about here. She used to say that, that whenever somebody got fired, that, that she was freeing up their future. And I just really <laughs> enjoyed that part of it. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, very much. I just freeing up the future, just empowering yeah. that person to get better. That is the most corporate speak I've ever heard. Uh, we are not rest assured. We are not, you know, eliminating Hannah. <laughs> Uh, Hannah is still going to be with us. Hannah is on the path to financial advisor. So we are not facetiously liberating her future. We are actually liberating her future. That's very true. Uh, very so true. we're we're excited about that. We are. Um, yeah. And it's uh, she's taking her test, I think, in the next few weeks. And so, you know, at some point you have to like open up your window for these things and then you cannot avoid like your window closes. So it gives her yeah. some finality of when she has to finish off her studying, which is great. Well, and, and we, we keep telling her, you know, like you, you don't have to ace it. You can just, you know, you just need to pass it, but she is, she wants to learn all of this stuff really well. And so, you know, she's overstudying. Yeah. Kudos to her. You don't have to be that good. Hannah. I mean, that's yeah. really what it comes down <laughs> yeah. to. Yeah. She's going above and beyond, uh, you know, but you know, just, just be forewarned, not every financial advisor is, is, uh, you know, eyes, eyes dotted and T's crossed as us at Walkner Condon, because we all, we all overstudied for our series, uh, Series seven, series sixty-six. At least that's what they told me when I took it. So I overstudied for my seven. I did not overstudy for my sixty-six, and I just squeaked by because I was <laughs> like, "Oh, I got this!" You know, I killed the yeah. seven. Like I had a really good test score on the seven. I was like, "Oh, well, how hard can the sixty-six be? It looks like the same stuff as on the seven. Yeah, I was wrong. Very wrong. Yeah. About that. The, the problem with the sixty-six is the A and C, but not D, and sometimes Q questions that they you know, the answering is a little bit more tricky than it was. Series seven had a little bit more straightforward kind of setup, I think, in terms of like A, B, C, or D, all of the above. It wasn't like A and B, but not C, 
A and C, but not B. You didn't have any of those. So, as a professor, um, I would write nothing but those questions: the one, one, two, and four, two, three, and four, and then always all of the above, because that's what I would pick all the time. And that was wrong. Yeah, when you get yeah, to college, well, um, you know, you can only do that once you get tenure, because <laughs> before that, you know, you have student evaluations you have to worry about, and so if you write tests like that, you're just gonna you're just gonna tick off your students, and they're gonna be like jerk on the evaluations. Yeah, in I big guess. letters. Yeah. Things are a little different from when I went to college. So, you know, yeah. actually rate teachers. I, I, I have it somewhere. I have a, well, a framed uh, evaluation that it, it didn't help when the professor, you know, said we had nothing interesting to say. And it was a, I remember this section very clearly. I don't remember saying that specifically, but it was a Friday morning at 9 a.m. section. So, you know, I'm guessing 98% of them had were terribly hungover and had nothing interesting to say Friday morning at, you know, 9 a.m. That's just my guess, but, you know, I could be wrong. No classes should start until 10 at, on Fridays anyways in college. Nobody listens. I mean, come on. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, you get these overachievers who think Friday, you know, freshmen, that's who, who signs up for the Friday at 9 a.m. It's because all then, the other sections are closed. <laughs> yeah, they get the last, the, oh. the end of the end of the line. So uh, other than uh, class selection, we're actually going to talk about something that's a little relevant to what we, the two of us talked about the last time we were on the podcast. Uh, when we talked about wine, we're going to talk a little bit about exchange rates and also about how they affect the stock market long term. This is a conversation, obviously, that I've been having with with my clients who are outside of the United States. But a lot of people have said, well, you know, over the last 10 years, if you've been anywhere but the United States, you've been lagging. Um, and there are a couple of reasons for that. Um, and But explaining why in the long run we, we still see foreign markets as a good place to be and why in particular right now they may be a good time to buy from some fundamental positions, leaving aside, you know, uh, that Europe seems to have handled, you know, the the crisis around COVID nineteen a lot better than the U.S. Same with Asia, you know, things have uh, kind of gotten back to normal there a little bit, a little bit quicker. You know, schools are are you know seemingly on the right path. Instead, what we want to talk about a little bit are why currency affects stocks and how a strong U.S. dollar can actually help the rest of the world a little bit. And to, to kind of give you an idea of, of what we're looking at, you know, I just want to show you, this is the Wall Street Journal's uh, Dow Jones. For those of you uh, watching on Facebook, if you're listening to the podcast, you won't be able to see it, but we'll describe it very well. Um, and what you see is basically, you know, from about 2004 to about 2014, the dollar was at a at one level, and then in the last four or five years, uh, it's it's gone up uh, closer to 100. Um, back in in 2000 to 2003 ish, uh, the dollar was at in this index about 110. 100, you know, this is just a baseline number. It it doesn't have anything to do with that, but the higher number means the greater strength of the dollar, right? And so relatively speaking, compared to where we were from about 2004 to 2014, dollar relatively strong. And we, we saw it spike particularly in, in 2014, 2015 time zone um, when it really came up. It, it gained some ground after uh, Trump's election in 2016, gave some of that back. But 
what what does that mean and why is that important for companies? And there are a couple of things to think about. The the first is this will affect the valuations of if you're if you're buying a stock that's priced in euros. So uh, uh, you know if you're buying an ETF, a eurozone ETF, those stocks are priced in euros. That's their kind of underlying currency, right? And what that means is when uh, you know they go and and they're trying to uh, you know when when that stock goes up ten percent, if the euro declines ten percent against the dollar, in the terms that you see in your portfolio, you're going to see a net zero in terms of gains. So it's something we saw in like 2014, 2015, and also in in 2016. In local currency terms, a lot of these stocks gained ground, but in in U.S. dollar terms, they kind of held steady or even lost a little bit. And so that's something to to kind of keep in mind in the in the background. So the first thing is if you know and and if the dollar is stronger, it's going to go further in in euros. So you you know whereas it might have cost you thirty dollars to buy a, a you know company that was twenty euros uh, you know trading for twenty euros a while ago, it now will will you can buy that same company for twenty five dollars versus thirty dollars, and that's you know that's on the you know buy buy low, sell high theme, right? So that's one thing to, to kind of consider. Um, you know, Clint, you, the portfolios in Walker Conant have been globally diversified for a while. And, and this is a question people always ask, especially over the last, you know, five years, especially when the S&P is, has gone forth. So what other, you know, things have, have you seen in that, in that foreign space as well? Well, there's a few things at play here. Um, number one, uh, you know, you can see that we have a situation where the dollar is, is not super steady. And so, you know, it does go up, it does go down. It does have that sort of impact on stocks that most people don't realize it has actually. And so you can get a, a bump or a, uh, you know, you can get a headwind or a tailwind depending on where currencies are at. Um, you have ways to protect against that, but most people don't do that because it tends to even out a little bit over time, depending on whether or not you know, as long as you have a global allocation, it'll even out a little bit. If you're all very myopic and you only consider U.S. stocks, well, you'll do well when the dollar's strong. And if you have a lot of U.S. companies that are very domestically oriented, uh, those will do well when the dollar's really strong. But, uh, you know, if you have a lot of uh, hands in a lot of different countries, uh, like say Caterpillar, for example, just for a stock, you know, they have a very globally diversified uh, company. And so therefore their currency conversion, uh, may not have as much of an impact, uh, as, you know, because they have a global basket kind of, of currencies, presumably, and the way that they trade, um, their company might be a little bit different than say something that's super U S based. Uh, so, you know, it depends on the type of company and it depends on what, uh, the dollar is doing at the time. And so we globally diversify because we know that the dollar's cyclical. So that's one reason and then also because there's opportunity and, and uh, you know, the U.S. isn't always the best uh, investment and the best uh, returner. And recently it's been good with the U.S., uh, but the next 10 years as we look toward that, and we, I feel like we've had this conversation a bunch of times, Keith, about how globally stocks, global stocks are, you know, fairly attractively valued. And I feel like that story's gotten more and more compelling. And uh, but you just have to wait. And that's the problem yeah. with investing right now is that you have to have some patience. 
Yeah, and it's it's the old saw, right? The the market can stay wrong longer than you can stay solvent, right? <laughs> you you have to have that patience, and that's why. And 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 there's a couple of things. There's there's a reason why you know even for foreign clients, we uh, we try to find strategies not to hedge, right? Um, now big companies who are doing these trades, you know, and and you can talk about how um, you know companies like uh, Caterpillar or you know uh, companies that are dependent on oil. Uh, other companies that are dependent on imports of certain products will hedge out their their currency risk because these fluctuations in the dollar, you know, can affect their their bottom line quarter to quarter. And what they're trying to do is rather than, you know, exactly predict, keep keep the the valuation of the dollar within a range. The thing is, though, at the the levels of of everyday investors, these ex, these strategies are super expensive. They're going to eat into your profits, and so for somebody who's investing over the long term, who is rebalancing, doing things like that, you're naturally going to see, you know, when the dollar goes up versus, you know, something that uh, a eurozone stock basket that's naturally going to decline. And so when we're doing our rebalancing for clients, that's naturally going to flow over. We're naturally going to buy the euro cheaper because you know the U.S. stock market has gone up. We have a target at, say, you know, hypothetically speaking, this is not an actual target because we will run the disclaimer at the end, but I like to make the disclaimer. We, you know, we want it at your, your U.S. position at 10% and the U.S. market has been on a run and it's, the dollar is strong and it's at 12%. And your European position, which we want at 5%, is now at 3.5%. And so we're going to take some money. You know, the dollar is strong and we're going to buy euros and eurozone stocks. We're not just going to buy currency, but we're going to buy those those stocks. One of the reasons why a strong dollar will help the rest of the world is it makes those imports cheaper here. And, you know, that's something that that people don't often think about. Right. Um, the, the example I always give, though, it's less relevant now uh, is, you know, when uh, you know a Mercedes, when the dollar and euro are at, at at you know the closer to parity, maybe not you know exact, you know you could buy a, a BMW for forty thousand, or you can buy a, a Chevy for thirty two thousand. Well, if if the dollar is goes up twenty percent against the euro, all of a sudden you can buy that that BMW for thirty two thousand, right? It, you know dollars because that's the equivalent of forty thousand euros now. In wine, I think, and wine is a is a better example, right? When the dollar is is strong, importing a 10, 10 euro bottle of wine, right, could mean oh, that's going to cost you eleven U.S. dollars. When the when the dollar is weak, oh my gosh, that same ten dollar bottle of wine could cost you thirteen dollars. Well, when you're standing looking at all the various you know cute labels and so on, you know a lot of people go, I want a ten dollar bottle of wine, right? And so. That's what they're going to be looking at, and it's harder and harder for companies to make profit if they're trying to get a, you know, ten ten dollar bottle of wine in the U.S. market because they're selling. They have to, you know, sell that to the U.S. at seven fifty euros versus, you know, nine euros, and that eats into their profits. So, so strong dollar strong- here for French red wines. That's really what I need to French reds. Strong dollar and remove the tariffs too. 
Like, you know, we need both yeah, of those. That's the, that's the other other thing, you know. Um, and so how, you know, one of the questions is how do we know that the dollar is is strong or overvalued? One is those charts, right? You look at those charts and you can see where about the median is. And we we can draw little lines using, you know, a variety of tools on the, on those charts. The other one that I like, and we, we did a, a Facebook Live a, a year ago about this, but I like coming back to it because I, I just think it's a great idea and people should check it out is is the the burger index right and and this pops up for us as well because a lot of people uh you know pre-covid were looking at the strong dollar and a lot of our clients were like oh it's a good time to take a european vacation why is it a good time to take a european vacation well if you go and you look at and i'm going to share my screen for people playing at home um, but again we're gonna we're gonna kind of describe this but if you go and and people should check it out the the uh burger index right right now uh you can see on the screen a, a big mac costs three pounds 39 and uh in the u.s uh it costs five dollars and 71 cents i got a, a big mac extra value meal but i didn't just get the big mac a, about a week ago so i don't know how accurate that is in the madison area um, but what this is saying is that, you know, the Big Mac is the same if you buy it in, in London, if you're, you know, buying it down the street from the city, if you've strolled out of a pub in London to buy the, buy the burger, or if you're, you know, here on University Avenue, it's the same product, right? And it, it means that it's, it's pretty equivalent. It, it incorporates a bunch of things, right? It incorporates wheat, it incorporates all of that. Well, what, what this says is basically the exchange rate should be about 0.59 between, between the dollar. That means, you know, um, basically one, $1 will buy 0.59 pounds, right? Well, right now what we're seeing is in the, the actual exchange rate is 0.79, right? So that in, ter- in current terms, the Big Mac should cost a little higher, right? I, I'm trying to do the math here. Um, six times 0.79, it should cost about four, four pounds 50, right? If we're using the actual exchange rate, but according to the exchange rate, you know, according to the prices in, in Britain, it's 339. So what that means is, you know, a suggestion, not an, a, a hard and fast rule that the, the British pound is, is undervalued by about 25%. And if you look just kind of overall, there are a couple of currencies that are holding out the Swiss franc generally is always overvalued um, because it is the the world's safest currency it's even you know safer than than the dollar which is where a lot of money goes when there's a risk so it's generally overvalued but when you look you just look at all of the currencies to the left and obviously some of these you know uh you're probably less likely to want to really invest in the Russian ruble right now <laughs> but even if you look at the New Zealand dollar really well-run economy Danish krona uh, you know, the Australian dollar, the euro. And what that means is right now the, the dollars, you know, in terms of valuation, fairly strong, right? Overall. Um, we, we've seen that, you know, in Britain in particular, Brexit, you know, caused a lot of that and it caused a lot of the, the fluctuation in the euro. But it, it suggests that, you know, if, if we're looking overall, you know, the, the dollar is fairly strong. So we have these kind of indicators. And what that means is just as part of the natural investing process that we do for our clients, we're going to be 
you know, buying, it's a good time to buy stocks in these other currencies. And so people always think, oh, well, you know, the stock market is overvalued right now, right? Well, that's if you look in the US, just at home, right? But we're, by diversifying, we're always trying to buy low for our clients that are accumulating. And flip side, you know, if we're looking at somebody who's spending down money right now, the US dollar portfolio, a little higher, right? And so, one first, that is going to be something that's going to help people in their retirement. The more assets you have, the more things that you can draw on, the, the smoother you can make that, that ride. But for our clients outside of the United States that we work with, it's a, it's a case where, yeah, we, if you have euros that you're investing, we're looking to keep those in assets that are denominated in euros, you know, invest them there, hold that, you know, buy eurozone stocks, make it make it easy for you so that once that that pendulum swings back the other way which generally it will right um you'll see that that uptick in those in those stocks and, oh, and we've seen a significant amount of of things written recently about uh the US dollar and how there's a general belief that the dollar is going to weaken and possibly significantly uh, you know, so there's been a lot of articles. So if you do a Google search on it, you'll find that there's a fair amount of articles. That doesn't mean that it's going to happen, but there is a narrative around that. And so when we start to see more and more articles perk up about that, uh, we start to wonder about that. You know, is this a real trend? Is this going to happen? Is it something that just gets said and then does happen? Because sometimes that occurs too. You know, perception becomes yep. reality. Um, there's also uh, a look at inflation and there's been a lot of money put into the system, uh, now with a lot of government stimulus. And so what impact does that have on interest rates on the U S dollar on all kinds of different things inside of the U S and so, you know, and we can come back to this at another podcast for sure, but you know, valuations, we will say in general of European and emerging market stocks are significantly lower than their U.S. counterparts. So that kind of says opportunity here when we look at that. And that just means we don't know when it's going to cycle back. It's kind of like growth versus value right now. Growth's way in favor. It's been in favor a long time. It's not to say that U.S. stocks won't remain in favor for a while, but if you look at the, the data, at some point you will likely see some sort of mean reversion. So again, you have to have patience. And it's it's made us extremely patient, trust me, because, yeah. you know, it's very easy to be a U.S. investor, you know, the last five years and say, well, I just like U.S. stocks. And, and we've talked about it in-house and we laugh about it. We just say, why do I even own any of this crap? You know, and you're like, yeah. okay, well, you do because it will cycle, um, you know. Yeah, so. and, and that's the thing that, you know, that we, we, that I think investors often forget is their timeline when, when we work with them, you know, people have this timeline of what's happened today in the stock market, right? And what we're trying to, what we always try to remind our clients is that this money has to last you if you're, even if you're now 60 years old for 35 years in a lot of cases, right? And your timeline needs to be longer. Don't make decisions based on today. And that's when we're constructing our por the portfolios for clients, we're making decisions based on those long-term trends that, you know, the market are, are pushing. So, you know, over the last couple of years, if you've been you know, moving money into Asia, you're probably like, well, why am I, you know, why am I doing this? Why am I, you know, but it, between 2000 and 2008, what, if you were putting money in the U S market, you looked like a ninny, right? Cause it was flat during those, those eight years. Right. 
Um, and so it, these cycles change. And what we're trying to do is just ride, ride those cycles and smooth out, you know, the gains over the long term and, and put you in a position that you're always drafting on, on the best wind, essentially. Well, that is investment advice from Keith Pony was a sage investor. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, so he's what, a big what, proponent what we of really want stocks, is, though, sure. is the dollar, you know, for us personally, you know, the dollar to remain strong so we can put into place all of those, uh, investing in wine strategies that we developed on that previous podcast. That's very true. That's very true. You heard it here first. So, all right. Thank you for joining us on this edition of give me some truth. I'm going to attempt to put our disclosure on this and then uh, we'll be back very soon. Hopefully this worked out. Love to hear your comments on it and uh, we'll join you soon. This is our attempt at a short plain English disclosure. Advisory services are offered through Walkner Connor Financial Advisors, a registered investment advisor regulated by the Securities and Exchange Commission. All matters that we discuss during the show are for informational purposes only. Look, we weren't attorneys. We aren't tax accountants. Um, if you want to rely on that sort of advice, go to your CPA, go to your estate planning attorney, uh, go to that trusted investment professional. If you're looking at global financial advice, sit down, maybe with an advisor, consider your whole financial situation, and then decide whether or not that fits your own situation. We all know that past performance is not indicative of future results. We know that any sort of performance that we talk about, any sort of charts, graphs, anything else that we bring up should not be relied on to be, first of all, uh, reliable because there could be some error in it and then also applicable to your own personal situation. So please take a step back before you listen to something and act on it and consider your own personal situation and meet with a professional where applicable. Uh, review your own investor objectives, risk tolerance, your time horizon, and we all know that all investing involves risk and possible loss of capital. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Give Me Some Truth. We hope that you can join us on a future episode.